Hello and welcome to Discovering Dementia. I'm Penny Bell and this podcast started after my mum was diagnosed with dementia. I wanted to know more about it and I've been sharing stories ever since. This time we'll be hearing more about Dementia UK and the role of the Admiral Nurse. With the arrival of coronavirus, this year has been a worrying time for carers and families looking after someone living with dementia. There have been many challenges to face. Admiral nurses are there to offer support, but in the face of constantly shifting rules and tier systems, it's been especially difficult for everyone. In fact, even in the few days since we recorded this interview, things have changed again. There had been some hope of a few days of rural relaxation over Christmas to see loved ones. But with the rapid spread of a new variant of the virus, large parts of the UK have now moved into a fresh Tier 4. People in these areas are being told to stay at home and many Christmas plans have had to be scrapped. As is the way with many audio things these days, we recorded this remotely and I'm sure you'll find it both useful and interesting. I'm Victoria Lyons. I'm the Senior Consultant Admiral Nurse at Dementia UK. I've been an Admiral Nurse for 18 years and with Dementia UK for 12 years and in a variety of different roles from practice development to business development and now Senior Consultant Admiral Nurse. Can you just tell me a little bit about what an Admiral Nurse is? Yeah, so an Admiral Nurse is essentially, it's, it's a registered nurse. It's a, a nurse who's got specialist knowledge and interest in dementia care. So the model has been developed over the years and it, it started in mental health services. And predominantly the Admiral Nurses are there to support carers and families living with dementia. And the kind of support is over the whole trajectory of someone's dementia. So it might be that an Admiral Nurse in some settings gets involved with the family and just before the diagnosis is made it might be around helping to support somebody to get that diagnosis but most usually it's actually once the diagnosis has been made and it's supporting the the family to kind of live well with that diagnosis to kind of understand the support that's available to them, to have somebody who can act as an advocate for them, somebody who can be there to really help somebody adjust to what the diagnosis means and what being a carer means, because essentially you don't get given a handbook as such when you get given a diagnosis and you don't suddenly become, we do suddenly become a carer, but you don't, you know, it's, it's something that gets pressed on you rather than sort of electing to take that role. So it's, it's really helping people to adjust to this new role and this new chapter of their lives together. And it's also around um, supporting people where there's particular complexities around it. Not every single family necessarily will need an Admiral Nurse, um, and they certainly wouldn't need an Admiral Nurse all the time. But at various points throughout your journey, you, you might need that layer of support. So it's, it's kind of a service that for family carers will sort of people will sort of tear up to or tear down to depending on whether they need that layer of support or not. Can you tell me a bit about what Dementia UK is because I know Admiral Nurses are part of it but how what's the distinction between the two? Yeah so Dementia UK is the is a charity that was started to to roll out the Admiral Nurse model so it's a charity that essentially was started by a family and and within that family the, the dad had dementia 
and you know they the, the family recognized that actually whilst dad had his diagnosis and had a certain amount of support around him in terms of mental health teams gps and and other people who were there to look after dad the family sometimes felt that they were a bit of an add-on rather than kind of key players within this story and they made the comment to the consultant psychiatrist that actually it was them who needed an adm- a nurse they, they was the words they used it's, it's us who we need a nurse to support us to enable us to care for dad dad's nickname was the admiral so it was a direct legacy to dad and, and when this consultant agreed that yes she could see the case the family were making they were able to grow this model so dementia uk is the charity that sprang from that very first admiral nurse post which was there was a direct legacy to dad the supporting best practice element of the role is a really important part of the role because we want to ensure that admiral nurses really act as a kind of beacon to support the professionals they work with and so lots of work might be around developing dementia strategies perhaps for an acute hospital it might be looking at the care pathways and the routes and the diagnostic process working in primary care around carers registers and making sure that people have got that ongoing support should they need it as well as doing supportive education stuff in acute hospitals you've got the different tiers of dementia training and lots of the admiral nurses are involved in designing and delivering those packages of training for staff so that the staff have got as much information and knowledge as possible about looking after someone and caring for someone with dementia and always making sure that the family carers are represented as well because we want to make sure that their voices are heard that they're visible that they're engaged in the care planning and you know naturally by having somebody at that very senior level who can really advocate and push for care support and service it, it really does make a difference to a kind of tiered model of care for people how could a carer find an admiral nurse if they were looking for one so we on dementia uk on our website we've got an interactive map and people can go onto that interactive map on um, dementiauk.org and it's called find an admiral nurse and if you put your postcode into that map it will tell you if indeed there is a service in your area so there's around about 300 admiral nurses in the UK. There's a whole range of areas that they work. So some admiral nurses work in the community, in mental health services, in primary care, in GP settings. And they tend to have slightly more open access in, in terms of referrals, perhaps. Other admiral nurses would work in a care home group. And for those admiral nurses, it, it tends to be obviously people who are in receipt of care from that care home group who can access the admiral nurse if it's a nurse who's employed in an acute hospital again you know you would have to be within that acute hospital to receive the care from that nurse and some are in hospices so you know again it's people who are end of life who, who they would be supporting we do have an admiral nurse helpline, which is available for anybody in the UK. Um, you, in fact, beyond the UK, we do get calls from all sorts of places, really. But anybody can phone the helpline and get some support. There doesn't have to be an admiral nurse in your area. If there is an admiral nurse in your area, we wouldn't just sort of say, well, call them. You know, we'll still support people and, and guide them through whatever we can help with them at that moment in time. But then we would be able to point them to the direction of the local service if there is one. 
And I imagine that helpline has seen quite a lot of calls this year. We're living through one of the strangest times with the coronavirus. And I imagine that that's put a lot of pressure on the helpline. You've had a lot of calls from people. Absolutely. I mean, the helpline was was really busy anyway. It was was a successful helpline with lots of nurses working every day on the helpline. But actually, you know, we're we're seeing a 40% increase in, in the numbers of calls coming through to the helpline. And actually, one of the hardest things in lots of ways is that, you know, we're seeing carers who are really struggling and and real suffering to a volume we've never seen before. And I've been a professional working in the dementia field for over 20 years now. And I, I can honestly say I've seen more suffering and struggling in this last year than I've seen in the whole of the 20 years combined. It's it's really hard. And, you know, so it does feel as a nurse you you know you want to respond and help people and and sometimes that's hard because the normal resources that you would be able to offer to someone or suggest aren't actually there or are not viable you know for example you might have somebody who really a carer is really struggling with their caring role and actually one course of action might be that something like respite care might be an option to you know to consider and and arrange but of course if you're caring for somebody and you know you, you might think about respite care but if you also think about covid and care homes and whether they whether that would actually be something you'd want to expose to your loved one potentially to or or to go down that route so it's really it's really difficult, um, you know, carers groups, the sort of levels of support that we would perhaps be directing people towards aren't there. What were the kind of questions that people were coming to you with? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, you're, one of the things that's been interesting for us actually is that we, we knew that the helpline was successful anyway, and we knew that we could support people using a helpline but actually one of the things that we really learned through COVID is actually how completely effective it can be to have that point of contact and and the world has moved very much towards remote support now hasn't it you know everything's remote and everything you're doing everything virtually but actually because the helpline has always been virtual and it was already set up so that the nurses who work on the helpline could work from home and you know so it was kind of from one level that was quite good because we were you know yes the volume of calls went up but we were able to manage that because we'd already got a lot of the the technology worked through and the answers and the resources worked through and for example the nurses the way they would normally support each other and work with each other a lot of that we'd kind of considered and thought through initially the types of calls that that came through were really people not understanding what does social distancing mean, not understanding what lockdown might mean. How do you encourage someone with dementia who lives on their own to stay in the house? You don't want to lock them in because that produces a fire risk. But actually, if someone's supposed to be staying indoors, and especially if in a kind of vulnerable group and potentially shielding, you know, how do you work all of that through to keep somebody safe from COVID but enable them to still have quality of life and to have meaningful activities during the day. So that was one of the challenges and then another challenge was this one's around using face coverings and social distancing. Uh, How do you explain that you've got to stay two metres apart when you're out, that you can't um, touch people and 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 actually if even for ourselves in 
that you know if you meet somebody with dementia and they're, they're in the street and they're they're walking about and they're distressed you you might normally think well i know who this person is i'll link arms and help them to get home but if you're aware that you shouldn't do that and in perhaps it's even somebody who's your neighbor or a friend you know that that brings a challenge as well so we had lots of calls how were you able to advise people in those situations? It's, it is really difficult. Um, it, it really is difficult. And I think if it's about kind of considering the risk that someone's presenting. So if someone was trying to get onto a busy main road or something, then I would argue that actually the risk to that person, you know, out of, the, of the doing that and getting onto that main road, you, you clearly wouldn't want them to do that. So if, if I had to, I would link arms with somebody at that point and try to get them out of that risk, which... It's difficult, isn't it? Because you're exposing them to a potential risk of COVID. But if you do nothing and they're underneath a truck, then it matters not whether that happened or not. Sometimes with families, what we had lots of calls is people saying care packages have changed overnight. They're not able to go to the clubs and the groups that they might have gone to before. Carers might not be able to come in. And actually, how do you manage that change in routine? And, you know, yes, on one hand, the government advice might be saying this but if you've got somebody who's not going to eat and drink and wash you you've got to you've got to again balance those risks and those needs and, and consider what's the right thing to do and actually if you can't find a resolve it's actually knowing who to go to because you do have to in most cases go back to social services and sort of say you know these are the risks that are identified and they weren't there before but they suddenly are now <laughs> and, and actually find a workable plan to support somebody because one of the things that I think has been has been challenging due to lockdown COVID is that people have declined you know people who were managing in the community and were supported by family friends neighbours local groups all of that stops somebody has a lack of stimulation lack of daily activities lack of structure not able to go out you know maybe somebody who had dementia but was able to go to bingo and church and hairdressers and do whatever else suddenly can't do any of that so that lack of stimulation will have caused potentially a decline in their cognitive abilities which shifts everything going forward so you know it is it is hard and, and it has been very stressful. We have huge numbers of carers ringing us up, really concerned, really stressed, really worried about, am I doing the right thing? Am I understanding the guidelines? They keep shifting. I don't know. I don't, and it's hard for us to keep on top of them because we're, you know, we're not experts on this kind of stuff. You know, we're not experts on infection control or, or disease management or in terms of COVID. So we've had to do lots to kind of get the online learning there for the nurses so that the advice they're giving is the right advice and, and is sort of meeting the advice that, that the family is calling us need. But it, it has been a struggle to keep on top of it all. And things like the um, furlough scheme might have meant carers who perhaps were out at work and had things in place, suddenly that was all gone and then they were at home caring for someone. And if you're not used to doing that, that's an extra stress together 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And it's it's been quite interesting because there, there was people who phoned us up and said, you know, well, they were furloughed from work and they'd gone to you know live with mum or dad because they mum suddenly was declining and lack of services to support them. 
But then when they have to go back to work, actually by that point, mums potentially got quite reliant on them, quite used to that layer of support. Some of the services haven't picked back up yet. So actually, what do you do? You know, do you go back to your job? Do you do you not? Um, you know, how do you make those decisions? And it has it, it's been interesting and, and people have been closer together than perhaps ever before because you know you if you're working you might not be aware of some of the day-to-day -day activities and challenges of a loved one with dementia and you suddenly are it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more risky it's perhaps just that you're more aware of them at this point and you know so there's been been lots of things and, and actually I'd be interested to find a person in the UK who hasn't struggled with lockdown this year I think all of us to one degree or another have struggled and you know probably nationally our our mental health and stress levels are all a little bit changed and altered to they would have been a year ago if you've got complexities such as dementia on top of that and maybe you're a sandwich carer and you've got young children and you know people it, it, somebody with dementia in your family to look after and a job it's no wonder perhaps that we're seeing more carers with their own mental health needs as well as, as a result of everything you know, this, this year. And often, as you say, when you're spending more time with someone who may be in the early stages of dementia, it, you become suddenly very aware of, of the difficulties they have that you perhaps hadn't realised before. Mm. Some people have managed very well with different strategies to keep their dementia at bay, if you like. But then obviously, if you are starting to notice perhaps someone who hasn't had a history or diagnosis of dementia struggling a little bit, then you have the difficulty of not being able to access perhaps memory clinics and things to help them. Yeah, and it's really hard because I think everybody's struggling with these changes and, and it's different for everybody. And, and, you know, and actually you might see somebody deteriorating and see those changes and actually knowing at what point to do anything about them and um, being able to assess those risks and decide is this just a deterioration or is this something different is this something else that's going on and one of the things that i always say around this is that just because you've got dementia doesn't mean that you can't have an array of other things so you know you could have depression you could have your b12 levels could be low your vitamin d levels could be low, getting out enough you could have constipation you could have denture problems sight problems all sorts of other things going on so if somebody suddenly changes or deteriorates and it's different if if you're suddenly noticing it you've got to decide is this something that's perhaps been creeping up for a while or is this a sudden change and and if you're spotting things that feel like sudden changes that's the point that really you know you, you do need to get some advice around and and try to work out is there something else that's causing this change you know have they got a uti have they got some kind of pain somewhere that's not been assessed and observed or is it that they're just struggling due to lack of stimulation not getting out enough not doing enough um, not sleeping enough you, you kind of got to do that holistic assessment work out what's causing these changes and you can do some of it yourself but it's really hard because it's your loved one it's your it's your mum it's your dad it's your, your, your sister and, and it's, it's easy as a professional to do them however when I had dementia in my own family I can tell you it's not that easy even for me to, to sort of take that step back and observe really what's going on 
Um, we do get people phoning our helpline again who, you know, have kind of noticed some sort of change or some, something going on. And, and we can talk them through and sort of work out potentially what it might be. And, you know, GPs are there. They are open. They are seeing people. I did speak to a GP the other day who'd tried to assess somebody with dementia um, via Zoom, actually, and they'd walked out of the room and hadn't come back on, and the GP was calling and trying to get them to come back into the room, and they could hear them saying, oh, I can hear a voice somewhere, and, you know, it, it brings challenges. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's hard even to persuade a person who might be having mild cognitive issues that they need to be seen or that it might be useful to be seen yeah. I mean that's one of the hardest things that that you'll face really it's one of the first hurdles isn't it and the way that I always advise people to get around this one is to consider that there might be something else causing this change and to consider that with the person so if you if you're noticing that kind of decline in somebody and you know sort of increasing problems and, and increased confusion perhaps it could be something else that's treatable causing that change so that's where I was kind of anchor it really and sort of say you know it's worth going to the GP because if it's treatable it goes away you know and and, and that's the best outcome and if it's not okay we've now got dementia to live with but at least you can plan and you can structure and and you can start to suss out what supports available in your area what help might we need what might the future look like I think with dementia it's never worth looking too too far in advance because you know the number of people over my career who I've spoken to who say something like oh, you know, I can cope until they can't recognise me. And as soon as they can't recognise me, that's going to be so hard. I won't be able to cope. But actually, they never get to that point, you know, and something else happens. And and you spend all that energy sort of worrying about something that might not actually happen. So, you know, I think it's always good to take stock of where you are today. Have some markers in your mind about this will be an issue in the future, perhaps, or this would be an issue if this happened, or I'd have to look at some extra support if this happened, but not kind of dwell in that space too long because it, it might never happen. So um, that's a very, very good point because that's something I'm very guilty of doing always trying to second guess what might happen next. And then what would I put in place if that happened? And and you're right, live in the moment, deal with what's in front of you. Dementia teaches you to do that, you know, it really does. And, and I think people with dementia themselves tend to live very much in the moment. You know, it's it's actually what's going on around me now. That's that's the most significant. And, you know, and I'm not, not to say that they don't ever project forward into the future. And of course, they project backwards and, you know, roll back memory and we'll, we'll go back to places in the past. But, you know, it's very much about the direct activities and stimulation around me now and how I want to respond to that or how I feel I should respond to that. That that becomes really paramount with dementia. So the more you can bring yourself into that place in some ways, the easier it is, perhaps. I mean, easy is a flippant word to use, but, you know, sort of somehow you're dwelling in a better space than projecting too far forward into all kinds of scenarios that just might never, never come to pass. Makes it easier to manage. You talked a little bit about the policy work that Dementia UK does. We work really hard as an organisation to make sure that wherever we have an admiral nurse, they've got the skills, the support, the knowledge that they need 
to be able to to do their job you know to make sure that they got the information about the latest government guidelines in in, in thinking corona terms they understand about you know how, how to advocate for people in the area to make sure that they've got the support they need we do all sorts of things around pain management capacity domestic abuse and violence you know to, awareness sessions to, to really make sure that the nurses wherever they are and in whichever setting they're working in have got absolutely the best information that, that's available to them and one of the things we did at the start of, of lockdown and actually the first edition went out on the 21st of March so almost pretty much as soon as the lockdown had been announced we, we started putting together a bulletin that we sent out to the Admiral nurses and in that bulletin we covered all the key topics that were going on and the kind of campaigns that we were doing and what other charities were doing as in the charities together work and all of the guidelines on PPE and sort of supporting people from a distance and advanced care planning and you know a whole range of topics really were covered as part of this bulletin it now goes out every month to the nurses to to keep them up to date other stuff we've done is we've grown our campaigning this year i think this year has i think it's safe to say taught us as a charity to to kind of take some of the blinkers off and look wider and get get more involved in some of the stuff that's going on out there and you know we used to be we still are very focused on developing admiral nurses you know and that was that was what we were set up to do after all you know to develop this model and actually we've got much more focused on getting involved in policy stuff and you know and, and doing more campaigning work so that wherever there's people with dementia they've got a voice that they can go to as well and, and that families can go to so we've got a couple of campaigns that, that we've been involved in but some on our own and some with other charities that that you know have, have enabled Things like you know visits to care homes, um, the, the, the care, key worker recognition for carers, and now a new one that we're, we're starting to, to look at, which is actually supporting to primary care and identifying what that needs to look like in, in the future, so that you know because most people with dementia are cared for in a primary care setting. So actually making sure that you know where possible it's as joined up as it, as it can be, and that people get the right support when they need it at diagnosis for example at diagnosis but also throughout the trajectory again because you know people with dementia are predominantly cared for under primary care so you know yes you might go to a memory clinic as part of the assessment process but then you would be discharged from that memory clinic and back to the GP you know you might be seen underneath the mental health services or neurology services or somebody else but actually it's the GP who has to do the ongoing care so you know and actually that as a GP will tell you you know they're general practitioners they you know and dementia is actually quite a complex illness with lots of twists and turns and and actually making sure that GPs have got the support that they need to be able to to give the right advice and support to families is, is really quite quite crucial really we want to make sure that people aren't left without that, that layer of support where they need it. We've come through a second lockdown now, certainly in England, and we're back to a, a sort of more complex tier system across the UK. 
lots of people are talking about Christmas because we've now been told that we can have this sort of relaxed period of, of five days. I know for myself, you know, there's always the worry that coronavirus is still out there. Uh, mixing different generations brings different risks and Christmas probably will look different mm -hmm. for us this year. What are you able to advise people who call up with sort of similar questions? I mean, I think, you know, I think you nailed it when you said Christmas is going to look so different this year. And I think it has to. It, it would be it would kind of be bad advice to suggest that it doesn't look very different. And even with the relaxing in the the rules and the idea that you can meet with free households and you know and have this this bubble i personally would err on caution with this yes we want people with dementia to be able to enjoy the festivities and and engage in them and we and i, I don't want to feel like some kind of grinch or bar humbug and you know and suggesting that people don't do that but but actually, you know, you've, you've just got to manage those risks and, and think really carefully about it. I've got a 90-year-old grandma. I won't be going to visit her this Christmas because I've got young children. And I just think, for me, the risk's too high. You know, I don't, I'd rather not see her this year, get her vaccinated in spring next year and see her, ne see her next Christmas, you know, or we'll see her shortly after. It's got to be an individual decision on what feels right, where things are at. And, and if your loved one was perhaps sort of moving towards end of life and you thought perhaps you're not going to have a next Christmas, you might see a different answer to that situation and think, well, you know, actually what's, what is important is that we spend this Christmas together because I'd be surprised if my loved one lives until next Christmas anyway, COVID aside. You're going to have a different solution aren't you so it does have to be individual it does have to be something that feels right for you and your family but i certainly would absolutely be advising social distancing caution i know it sounds boring to say that sort of wash your hands <laughs> wear your mask but but you, you know actually it's all stuff that you can do to help prevent the spread of, of covid and prevent those risks Certainly, again, in, in my family, we've got some, you know, young teenagers, we've got young children, we've got older people, and we've made the decision to, to do things via Zoom and WhatsApp and other, other ways, because it, it just doesn't, it, even though I know you can, we've just kind of decided we, we, can, we can cope and manage, but I know that won't be for everybody. It depends, doesn't it, on, on the situation. Somebody spoke to me the other day about bringing their loved one out of the care home for the Christmas period. And that was something that they'd been offered as a consideration. And again, even that, we know that with dementia, any changes to someone's routine, you know, they don't always go very well. They can bring challenges with them. And actually, this has been a challenging enough year anyway. <laughs> you have to really think carefully about changing any of those kinds of routines and and the benefit of doing it for a couple of days and work it all through. And it's great news that we've, we've finally got a vaccine and been able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, which actually is really reassuring. I think if we didn't have that, it would be even harder to kind of think, well, we'll sacrifice a little bit more because at least there is that end goal in sight really thinking about my mum trying to explain the fact that there is a virus she's able to understand that in the moment but of course forgets quite a lot and um get, gets a bit disgruntled about uh, why people aren't visiting or why she can't go to the places she normally goes to mm -hmm. and then 
I just re-explain again what it is and then she's like oh well if only you told me in the first place you know um how do you advise people to explain this whole situation and you know what what is going on it's really tricky isn't it and and I think the key thing to start off with is by remembering that the person themselves genuinely they're not trying to be awkward or difficult or stubborn in not remembering you know it's, it's genuine because of the dementia the brain is not able to retain that information and that's the illness they've got. Why I always start off with that point is kind of realising it's not the person, it's actually this is the process and this is what's happening. It's an, it's an odd, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus. We didn't have these, these weren't in our vocabulary a year ago and social distancing, you know, all of these stuff, even PPE, you know, I mean, I, I knew what PPE was. I, I don't know how many other people necessarily did beforehand. It's lots of new terminology. So I tend to keep it as simple and as straightforward as I can. And, you know, I would say things like, you know, there's there's a, 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 something out there, it's a virus, it's like a flu, it's something that's making people poorly and downplay it a little bit and use familiar words and simple words. But, you know, you, you have to sort of explain to somebody that as a result of the thing that's making the germs that are making people poorly, we all have to do these things, we have to make those changes. And sometimes it is actually just about reminding somebody every time you see them, you know, so you, you would say, oh, things aren't too bad today. I'm feeling well, even though there's obviously this virus. So without them having to search, you're reminding them that there is a virus. And, you know, you might sort of say, well, you know, we, we all do the elbow bumps thing now where we see people. But that's very alien. It's very peculiar how would you ever remember that you know and you, it would be more natural to give somebody a hug so it is actually about sort of saying you know because of the virus because there is this virus we can't hug each other and we've got to wear these funny got to wear the masks the face coverings you know we've got to keep a distance and reminding people again and again that there is germs out there there's an illness out there's something out there that's making people quite poorly and that we're all vulnerable to it so it's about protecting all of us and often you know even if somebody's got dementia if they're a mum or a husband or a wife they can get that concept face masks is a whole different thing isn't it how do you convince someone to wear a face mask and go out or even how do they know it's you because very often my mum doesn't realize it's me because she has carers that come in mm. she doesn't distinguish between me and one of the other lovely ladies as she calls them that, that comes to see her so it is really tricky so you can get the face masks with the kind of perspex panel across the mouth and they make a massive difference and actually the other thing with masks is that I don't, I don't know if you've realized this yourself but you you sort of sometimes I feel like my hearing's not as good because I can't see and you think well I don't I don't think I'm lip read <laughs> but it's so being really mindful that actually you know that's me without dementia and I've noticed those changes so if you've got dementia you know and you've got a problem with your, your cognitive processing and abilities then actually it might be even harder to understand what someone's asking you if half of their face is covered um and you can't hear them so yeah I think we forget how much we rely on all our senses to communicate with someone don't we absolutely so if somebody wants to find an admiral nurse perhaps to help them and they're a carer or maybe if someone wants to become an admiral nurse but how do we get in touch with you 
Great question. So we've got the Admoners Helpline and anybody can phone the helpline. It's it's there and it's available. And the helplines open every day from nine o'clock in the morning until nine at night. And it's also open on the weekends from nine till five. The telephone number is 0800 888 6678. People can phone our helpline. It, it is very busy, as I said earlier, we've got 40% increase in calls. So if people do phone the helpline, please leave a message and, and we will call you back. But we try to have lines open all the time to take calls live, but it, it's very, very busy at the moment on the helpline. And if you go onto the Dementia UK website, there's also a, a kind of form that you can fill in. So if you if you did want to email instead of phoning you can you can fill in a form and send us an email and we'll answer that way as well because of course sometimes you know it's four o'clock in the morning and, and you're awake and worrying about something you just want to fire off an email and, and when you can do that and we'll respond in terms of if people want to become an admiral nurse we want more admiral nurses it's part of our strategy to develop the admiral nurse role and to employ more admiral nurses and the key way to become an admiral nurse is obviously to, to find a job and apply for the job. And on our website, on the Dementia UK website, we've got a, a tab that you can follow, which will link you through. And, and you know, we, we have all of our live vacancies on there. The other way to do it in some cases is where there's a nurse who is working at a level that actually is very similar to an admiral nurse kind of role. And, you know, in, in, in some cases we've done role conversions and the other really exciting resource that we've got available on our website is a kind of pre-admiral nursing module. So this is a, a module that we've put together which kind of explores key themes and concepts around dementia and the key competencies that as a nurse you would need to have to, to be able to be an admiral nurse. It's free to, to do this course. It's, it's a nice little bit of learning. It is designed for professionals and for nurses. Well worth having a look at if you're interested in becoming an admiral nurse. And just could you just tell me the website again? It's the Dementia UK website. So it's dementiauk.org. Thanks very much to Senior Consultant Admiral Nurse Victoria Lyons from Dementia UK for talking to me and sharing her expertise. That helpline number again is 0800 888 or you can email helpline at dementiauk.org. You can check the show notes for the details too. It's a very difficult time for everyone, but please do ask for help if you need it. This is the last episode of the current series, but do let me know what you think of the podcast. Look for Discovering Dementia or Dementia Podcast on social media and please do subscribe, rate and review. You can check back for other episodes too if you've missed any. Discovering Dementia was produced and presented by Penny Bell with original music by Leila Matwali. <laughs>